probably seen one of these. A Lego brick. Did you play with Lego when you were a kid? Or do your kids play with it now? Do you play with it now? Pretty neat toy, for many of us at least. Trying things out, building things together. Actually, it's the biggest toy company in the world. It's huge. Making close to $9 billion US a year. It's in more toy boxes than anything else. It's part of kids' parties and sleepovers. It's used in schools' education programs. Awesome! We've got Lego films in cinemas now. Everything is awesome. Oh my gosh, I love this song. Lego! Alrighty, this is Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies. Welcome back. I'm Zelda. And you're probably wondering why I'm going on about a kid's toy on a show about weapons companies. So, here's a clue. First Lego League Discover is a playful introductory STEM program that ignites students' natural curiosity and builds Yep, that's a STEM program, meaning science, technology, engineering, maths. Some of the skills we need to build renewable energy and deal with climate change or in health and medicine, or in transport, or education, or digital tech, or everything, really. Lego League here is run by First Australia. Take a look at their sponsors and you'll find some of those industries. There's Macquarie University, there's Ford, there's Google, ah, and there's BAE Systems, who build planes for war and nuclear weapons. The threat isn't just real. We have received information that identifies a possible near-term threat. It's evolving. To make the best decision, you need the best information. Well, actually, we kind of agree with BAE on that one, just not in the same way. All weapons companies need STEM skills, which is exactly why they want in right at the ground floor. Lego League starts from age four, before kids even reach primary school. It actually sounds like a fantastic event, which is why this is so terrifying. It means that from their earliest years, kids can identify weapons companies with fun, friendly, exciting experiences. Oh no. Lego League events are far from the only way weapons companies try to do this. Very, very far. There are robot competitions, coding competitions, drone competitions, competitions on cybersecurity, competitions on submarine design, space camps, career days, the lot. I think the the intersection between physics and the questions about the world that we have yet to answer is one of the most like exciting things for humans to be thinking about. I think it's like so, so cool. My name's Zoe. I am currently living and organizing on Gadigal land in Sydney. I yeah, spend most of my time organising against the forces driving climate collapse. I, I really, really love school. I, yeah, I was pretty good at it. I really loved learning. And I did have a pretty strong passion and interest for physics, especially. I had a super, super, super exciting eccentric physics teacher. I remember like one um, unit of study was like science fiction it was basically like choosing any like sci-fi source and just investigating the like science and maths behind it um which was so cool because you you know you were like exploring the potential of like time travel and like why our perception of time um is a certain way curiosity could just be explored for like curiosity's sake and i thought that was like so so special 
The National Youth Science Forum is a not-for-profit charity that has now been running for 38 years. Our flagship program, the National Youth Science Forum NYSF Year 12 program. This is probably the biggest event for STEM students in secondary school. It was founded by Rotary and it has hundreds of participants each year. It was a pretty like intensive like application process. So they ran these talks and then you had to go to a bunch of interviews and um, part of the interviews had like problem solving elements to it. Like if you have to move a chicken and a barrel of grain and a fox, what order do you do it in and what do you need and why? But obviously not that one because it's quite a well-known one, but something like that. Something that was designed to spruik people's, yeah, creative responses. Like they were really out to find the sort of brightest minds in STEM across um, the regions, I guess. Something the camp actually really did well was create, you know, a pers- a, a experience of personal development for a lot of young people that were going through the kind of years in your life where you have to be working out what you want to be next and um, you're making some pretty big and important decisions. And, you know, it actually does just get a bunch of like-minded people in a room together um, for a few weeks and helps build connection and build relationship and build, you know, a sense of like community, I guess. Like that part of it was really amazing. There's just this underlying sinisterness in in the context that it's being done in. I think the thing that really changed the tone of the week or something was the sort of this careers expo at the end of it where basically it was like a bunch of companies like poaching people um, to be their future employees. That's where, yeah, each year the CEO of like Lockheed Martin gave a big speech about technological innovation. Lockheed Martin, they're the single biggest weapons company in the world and they're the main sponsor of the National Youth Science Forum. When you're in a classroom, you get taught, this is how you calculate that, this is how you do this, but you don't get taught about the opportunities available to you. And NYSF really opens your mind to what opportunities are actually there. I thought, wow, what an amazing program. The aura of the um, room that you were in when you were being spoken at by all these important people was definitely one of like awe and I think a lot of people were like inspired by this sort of like idea that that could be them or something like that honestly I don't know I had such mixed feelings you know it was a really amazing experience for me I met some really really wonderful people that I'm still like in relationship with now um and I actually went back the next year to help facilitate the camp for for other people the reason that it um yeah, it's sinister is because of the, the context that we live in and a lot of like contextualising how severe that part of it is I don't think happened for me until one or two years later. You know, like now I think, you know, those young, impressionable young people sitting in a room being lectured to by the CEO of Lockheed Martin talking about technological innovation and how many opportunities there are for, I don't know, averting the climate catastrophe and saving Australia if if these bright young mind the brightest young minds in STEM especially especially the brightest young female minds in STEM you know come and work for them that's horrid now and I think that young people's minds and young people's imaginations of a world that is not this one is sort of pretty high up the agenda for this system to 
seize and control. Because if they weren't, then yeah, we could definitely create something better, imagine something better together. Hi everyone, and welcome to Engineering Fairy Tales. I'm Julia, and I'm going to be reading you the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Now, engineers make and test things to get them just right. Can you spot what Goldilocks tests in this story? Goldilocks and the Three Bears Once upon a time, there was a family. Did you know Mama Bear now makes organic honey and sells it online, including for skincare treatment? The brave new entrepreneurial world of engineering fairy tales, where school students get to solve STEM challenges for their favourite characters. Brought to you by BAE Systems. This comes from the UK, but it's in our schools too. In fact, the strategies the weapons companies use here have a long track record in the UK and the US especially. We see the interference of weapons companies in education as part of the broader process of um, militarisation of society, of um, socialising kids to um, the idea that our problems can and should be solved through you know, acquisition of military technology. My name is Elise West. Um, I work for the Medical Association for Prevention of War. I guess the, the start of the story is that I, um, I was born in 1975, so during the mid-80s, sort of at the peak of the Cold War, I believed that I would die in a nuclear war. Um, and, I was, and I was reading these fictional stories for information about how to survive, so I had decided that in the event of a nuclear war I was going to get under the kitchen table and I would put a blanket over the top and I wouldn't come out until I had grown white fur um, somehow I had picked up this information from, from some story. And this, um, I guess for me, that was sort of the, the beginning, really. Um, I also really remember vividly at that time, 1985, when the Rainbow Warrior was um, bombed and sunk by the French in New Zealand. And I remember seeing that on television and feeling very shocked by that. I joined Greenpeace then when I was 10 years old and uh, wrote letters for Amnesty International and all those sorts of things. So I guess it was kind of an, an innate tendency um, from a very young age. Medical Association for Prevention of War released a study about what these companies are doing in our kids' schools a few years ago. So far it's the only resource really where this information is compiled together and you'll find a link to it in our show notes our report, it's called Miners and Missiles, on weapons companies' involvement in STEM education programs focused at children in primary and secondary education. We started looking there because we began to understand that um, you know, weapons companies have really saturated the universities. So the extent to which um, weapons companies' research and money is invested in Australian universities is quite extraordinary. But we realised that the university was just the end of the pipeline. The weapons companies themselves describe it as a talent pipeline. Um, the Department of Defence describes it as a talent pipeline. It's um, very clearly described as a means to attract the best and brightest into the industry. So we started looking, you know, well, where does the pipeline begin? And it turns out it begins with very, very young children. So um, children of you know four and five years old who can um, attend 
extracurricular STEM programs that bear weapons company um, logos and sponsorship. Sometimes they're staffed or trained by weapons companies employees and with the express purpose of influencing children's attitudes towards these brands and developing a talent pipeline that goes all the way up primary, secondary, university and out into industry. They're getting prizes um, branded with BAE systems. They're getting certificates of participation with weapons companies' logos on them. Um, and so, you know, it's a, we describe it as uh, an attempt to create positive brand association. And the sort of the, the effect of positive brand association is very, very well documented. And it's well understood that the earlier you begin um, developing positive brand association, the more sticky the association can be. Also, very young children. Um, don't necessarily understand what's happening when they're being exposed to brands. They can express preferences for brands, even if they don't actually like what the brand is is producing. And we found some data that suggested that the weapons Department of Defence was responsible for over 50% of all STEM programs that were funded at the national level. Hi, my name is Dale. I work at 41 Squadron, RAF Coningsby, as a survival equipment specialist. Today, I'm going to read you Jack and the Beanstalk. So get comfy and listen closely, because Jack might need your help at the end of this story. That's quite extraordinary that they have associated with their brand with something so strongly connected to childhood and so universally connected to childhood. Um, a lot of weapons companies in um, their pitch to kids talk about and especially in these STEM programs that they have branded as well, they sort of appropriate a lot of those self-development and self-fulfillment uh, words and phrases, you know, teamwork and um, you know, being aspirational and challenging yourself and um, sometimes they appropriate issues like sustainability, for example. Oh, it's a sustainability challenge. Um, they often use sort of language, you know, go get them girl. They is very focused on attracting um, young girls into STEM with this kind of um, equality message, um, all of which is sort of, you know, really used to obscure what what the purpose of the company actually is. But it is, it is very saddening to see those things which are important to to young people to do and to feel um, it's saddening to us to see those being appropriated by the, these companies that ultimately cause incredible harm in our war stories episode you might remember the freedom and liberation narrative used by weapons companies and the military in afghanistan in the revolving doors episode we touch on how those companies and political leaders rely on a narrative of fear and threat to get their way Self-fulfillment and creativity, that's another key narrative, but this time specifically targeted at the employees they want to recruit, like our kids. The different narratives and marketing strategies weapons companies use are the bedrock of their social licence, that is, like the community acceptance that allows them to operate. It's social licence by stealth. I think it's important to note that Often kids and families will agree to participate in these things and be exposed and associated with these brands without necessarily understanding what the brand does and what the brand stands for. Um, we think that's a problem because, you know, as we know, being able to give informed consent is really important. 
Um, so kids are often photographed with weapons companies logos, for example, and in when they sign um, a participation form, they give the rights to the um, some of the companies to use these images for for promotion and self promotion. You know, in in perpetuity. So as a very young person, you know, standing in front of a weapons company brand may come back to haunt you later on, even if you don't follow that career path. There you are associated with something um, that, you know, many, many of us see as being a, a bad thing. So giving informed consent means that you actually fully understand all the implications of of participating or being associated with this brand and the companies themselves in their relationship to kind of the broader world will quite deliberately downplay their association with lethal technologies and play up um, other sort of things you know so so Boeing for example will always focus on its aeronautics and not mention its defense industry work and you know these are quite purposeful um, corporate tactics and are very common to um, sort of what are referred to as stigmatized industries so they're, they're very aware of this and it's often um, very spoken very very blatantly by them as well so in the report we have a quote from a, a BAE HR person who says there's great opportunities great opportunities in the weapons industry but you know some some people have a negative view of it particularly young women you know we, we have to overcome this negative view um, and of course they're not changing their business model what they are is changing the way that they present and market themselves worldwide all of gen z is actually turning away from the military it's not just an issue with western countries it's all around the world we're seeing photo dumps coming out of the ukraine every day of what war actually looks like it's actually just horrible check out gruen the abc show about advertising this episode's from last year like 2022 it's actually a great short primer on the military's recruitment marketing strategy. This year, the ADF spent their $59 million recruitment budget on a campaign with ads like this. If you could do anything with your life, what would you love to do? We asked Australian women. This is what they said. Can you guess what answers get put on the screen? Things like, do something I've never dreamt of. Lead, fly. Like the military is the way to do these things. Tell us what you love and we'll show you how you can do it in the Australian Defence Force. We've posted a link to that Gruen episode in our show notes. You really should watch it. But as we've seen in things like Lego League and National Youth Science Forum and fairy stories, advertising campaigns are just one part. Weapons companies might use similar narratives, but they don't run ads like the military do. They just try to get inside our schools as deep as they can. There's also been things like um, weapons companies, you know, embedded into the curriculum, for example, where there's apprenticeships or placements or... um, So there's been a whole kind of variety of things going on and I think probably over the last five to ten years is where it's sort of gathered speed. This is, I think, only going to accelerate as an issue post the AUKUS agreement. Um, there's going to be a, uh, because of the acquisition of naval nuclear power, Australia has no nuclear trained engineers or personnel of any kind. Um, there's going to be a really big push to entice young people into the field. And I expect that we'll start to see that happening at a very young age as well. And um, similarly, there's also um, 
for universities as well who are kind of beginning to compete for defence-related talent and are always looking for ways to sort of sort the wheat from the chaff, to put it kind of crudely. In our Revolving Doors episode, Michelle Fay explains how it's now a national strategic priority to make sure that weapons companies are profitable. So from top to bottom, we're seeing efforts to reshape society to serve these companies' interests, but not without a reaction. Oh, I, I'd i like to think there are some stirrings. Um, we've been in discussion with um, state education unions and there is a lot of interest from educators in the matter. I think part of the issue for educators is that educators should be setting the curriculum, not corporations. And most unions have very strong positions against the corporatisation of education. And also that, um, I guess there's something fundamental that goes against the values of education itself when it's about simply serving um, corporate needs or even national security needs or things like that education in itself is is the purpose so to see it being molded um, so clearly by external forces I think is of concern to educators so they've been very receptive we've been systematically um, communicating with every education minister um, in each Australian state and territory bringing their attention to the issue and um, some of them have quite good policies that sort of stipulate that you know um, taking money or associating with companies that produce tobacco for example is you know inconsistent with the values of the education department as a medical association we are taking a harm prevention approach to this and demonstrating to education departments how it is harmful for children who are vulnerable um, to influence to be exposed to companies that make harmful products and that the department has a duty of care to protect children from exposure to harmful brands. Now some education departments are more receptive than others. Some states are really the education departments accept money from um, the Department of Defence to run and facilitate these partnerships. So that's going to be difficult. Um, But others, so for example, in Tasmania, um, because of its sad history with gun violence, actually um, has quite a good existing policy about normalising violence and normalising weapons. Uh, We're happy to say that the Victorian Education Department updated one of its policies to explicitly say that companies that produce weapons were not appropriate um, partners for schools and that's our goal essentially at the moment is to see that policy change all across Australia. I guess what we're saying is we don't want to kids stop participating in STEM programs, we just want those STEM programs to end their association with harmful industries. Pretty much every big weapons company is involved in this in some way. So far we've talked about BAE Systems and Lockheed Martin. They're two of the big ones. Thales is also involved. Their weapons are used in West Papua. And there's Boeing, a company we're also focused on at Wage Peace. And there have already been some wins. Ah, BA Systems and the Smith family. Um, this was great. Um, Wage Peace and a couple of other people all kind of chipped in to make this happen. 
So the Smith family is a, a charity that works um, to better the lives of young people. They do really good work. Part of what they do is provide um, after school and extracurricular education programs. And one of those was a STEM program. And um, they took some money from BA Systems to run this program. And, you know, it's a really sad irony that a, a, a charity that works to, um, to help kids um, is being branded by um, a company that is associated with, you know, the, the deaths, in direct and indirect deaths of children um, in conflict. So um, we started up a correspondence with the CEO who defended the partnership, saying it enabled them to do good work um, for kids. Um, we obviously came back with our, our arguments and um, eventually went to Paul Daly, uh, who's a writer at The, the Guardian, who um, wrote an article about the issue. I think simultaneously other people were um, taking action at different, aimed at different um, parts of the Smith family. And not long after that article was published in The Guardian, um, the Smith family announced that the partnership was reaching its conclusion. I think it's really important that we all understand that companies are very aware um, of their need to maintain social license. You know, they seem gigantic uh, multinational corporations with their tentacles in everything, but they are well aware of their, their weak spots. They know that they, uh, they are often hanging on to their social license by, by a thread. So when you kind of tug at the thread and remove the social license and, you know, it, it is part of a larger picture of actually shifting society away from this militaristic position. So I think we should all um, take, take courage from, from knowing that, that, that they know it too. You've been listening to Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies, the first season of Peace Pod. The weapons companies share their strategies from one country to the next. But we do that even better than they do. This episode was produced on unceded Aboriginal country on the continent known as Australia. Production credits and other links are all in our show notes. I'm Zelda and we're Wage Peace, wishing you a future of earth care, not warfare. <laughs>